The name of the show? Why, it's Ophelia Talks. How we doing today? Come on in, stay a while, take off your shoes. Yeah, just relax, right there. It's your old buddy, Zach Rich, your company manager, your podcast host, your boy with a kitty cat in his lap. Off, off, off. It's episode four of the show. Thanks for joining us once again. I've got a great episode for you this week, but first a couple of things to talk about. Thank you very much to everyone who came out to the second weekend of the With a Twist New Play Festival over at the Ophelia Theater. Your town was fantastic, if I do say so myself. Very proud of my actors, very proud of my bud Joe, who wrote the whole thing. It was a really fun time, and if you got to come out and see it, thank you so much for coming. If you've missed out on that show or the show beforehand, don't worry, we are halfway through the festival. Two more shows are on the docket for you. This weekend is Red Winter by Anthony Mercado. That is directed by Billy Aiken Tires. You can see it this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday at the Ophelia Theater. The Friday and Saturday shows are at 8 p.m., the Sunday show at 6. And we will round out our new play festival with Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner is that title. That is written and directed by Dan Roberts, and you can catch it on the 20th, 21st, and 22nd of the month. Once again, Saturday and Friday shows at 8, Sunday at 6. After the festival is over, Stay tuned for more information on an upcoming Halloween fundraiser that Ophelia will be throwing. You'll be able to find more information about that in the coming days, but save the date. October 28th, 2017 is where you'll be able to get a spooky, scary good time in to celebrate the good holiday of Halloween. Here is the good news and the bad news of this week's episode. The good news is it's really good. I got to sit down this week with Billy Aiken Tires, the artistic director of Ophelia and director of our third weekend show, Red Winter, as well as Anthony Marcato, who is the gentleman who wrote Red Winter. It's a very fun interview. We talk a lot about the show itself. We also spend a little time talking about Billy's transition into the artistic director role at Ophelia, as well as what's next ahead for last spring's Your Alice. The bad news is the audio quality of this episode is not up to snuff. I apologize for that. There was a small mishap when we started recording that I did not pick up until we were done recording. Uh, so the audio for this episode is going to be less than great, which I sincerely apologize for. I hope you can forgive me. Thank you very much for listening to the show. If you like Ophelia Talks, feel free to give us a subscribe, write a review, give us a rating on iTunes. That kind of thing helps us out and takes the show to a new level. Thank you very much to Fiend in Green for the use of our theme song. It's called Welcome to Enjoy off of the album Green Planet Adventures. You can find out more about Fiend in Green at their website at fiendingreen.bandcamp.com. If you'd like more information on everything happening at the Ophelia Theater, our website is opheliatheater.org. All the good information you need is right there at your fingertips. Next week, I'll be sitting down with Dan Roberts to talk Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. And after that, the play festival's over. So we'll have some new surprises coming your way in the coming weeks. I'm not going anywhere. But for the time being, I am going to go somewhere. I'm... I don't know where I'm going, but I'll be someplace else. Have a great week, and I will talk to you later. Enjoy.
great. I will say you're obnoxiously charming on this podcast. <laughs> that's what, yeah, that's what you keep saying. I was listening to it and I was just like, oh god, he sounds so great. <laughs> and that's how we start today. What a charming guy he is. Hey guys, thanks for being here. I'm really excited about this. Yeah, I have no you. idea how this is going to pan out. It's really yeah. cool. <laughs> Billy Aiken Tires, Anthony Mercado. Mercado. I, Mercado. Wow. I kept, that's, you're going to hate listening to the podcast because I've been saying that for weeks now. Well, maybe I shouldn't listen now. Yeah, you probably, <laughs> you can go if you Plug want. my ears and yeah. Um, I know. Common mistake. Oh, hello, Kitty. <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't mind her. She's probably going to hop in your lap at some point in recording. There was, uh. Billy, get out. During, <laughs> during the Joe episode, there was one moment where she jumped up on the table and there's like a loud thunk in the middle of a great thing that Joe's talking about. It's just like whack because her tail hit it. <laughs> I know a lot about you. I know next to nothing about you, Anthony. Excellent. So I met Billy. It's Grand Shakes, right? Yeah. So I, um, I'm originally from the Philadelphia area and then went to the University of Scranton, which is a place that really has stayed with me um, as kind of a second home. And that's actually where the first incarnation of Red Winter premiered last summer. So I am really excited to uh, remount it within an expanded version. We've sort of expanded the scope of the play and added some characters, added some scenes, and really excited to um, not only remount this production, but also make my New York playwriting premiere. That's so exciting. Which is, yeah, I'm very yeah, excited That's about. cool. How long have you been working on Red Winter? I started working on it October 2015. And I know the date exactly because I was in the middle of this huge World War One history kick, which is sort of the roughly the period when the play takes place. It's like right after the war ends. I think the fact that it was October, which is of course the month of the revolution, it just seemed like a ripe time to sit down and start writing it. It's such an interesting take because it's a winter tale set in communist, communist, communist Russia. <laughs> yeah, people ask me like where it came from. I feel like I never give a very exciting answer. Essentially, it was marrying two things that I'd always loved, right? Which is mm -hmm. Winter's Tale. And communism. And communism. Uh, <laughs> you can edit that part out. Um, we don't know who's listening. Uh, no, it was, I, I've always been a Russian history buff. Like I said, for whatever reason, I think because we're sort of in the centennial, or we're approaching the centennial, I, I was finding a way to marry the two things together. The, the centennial of? No, the Russian history and and the Winter's Tale. Oh, okay. And I don't know exactly what, maybe it's the fact that there's a bear in Winter's Tale. I mean, as you know, the bear is like a huge part of it. The bear is, for whatever reason, I'm still not sure, so synonymous with Russia uh, as like a spirit animal or whatever sure. you want to use. Also, what's interesting is after I started writing the play, I kind of went back and looked at the Winter's Tale and realized that Hermione has a line where she says that her father was the emperor of Russia. And I wasn't thinking about that when I was writing it, but long ago when I first read Winter's Tale, something about that stuck with me in my subconscious. And I started associating the world of the Winter's Tale with the world of Russia. And it fits, too, especially for that period, because there was so much paranoia in Russia historically at that time. There's this new government that's trying to establish itself. We're just coming off of a civil war. There's a lot of suspicion and there's a lot of 
people being accused of things that they didn't do and being sentenced to for these crimes that they did not commit, which is, of course, spoiler alert, what happens in The Winter's Tale. Oh, God. People being exiled, which is, again, something, a, a, a pivotal plot point of Winter's Tale. I don't know. There was just something about the two worlds that collided in a really nice way. And the play, honestly, kind of wrote itself. I think it was maybe about a month and a half process of actually writing the first draft. Maybe about six months or so of percolating, letting it sit, uh, making some steady rewrites, and then um, until I presented the quote-unquote final version to the artistic director of Scranton Shakes, Michael Flynn, and that is the ver version that was produced Scranton that summer. And how has the play evolved from the Scranton Shakes production to this coming one this weekend? I kind of had a, a sort of unlikely gift in November of 2016. I remember Michael Flynn hanging out with him and he asked me like, oh, what are you doing with Tale for Winter? And I said, well, I haven't really done anything recently. And he's like, oh, well, I think you should because it's so relevant now. And of course, Trump had just gotten elected. I didn't quite know what he meant at first, but then I started thinking about it and it's like all those same kind of things are happening now, right? There's paranoia, there's suspicion, mm -hmm. there are people losing their liberties. And it's interesting because, you know, we're in such a, a right-moving time right now, and yet we see all of those things in this world, which is obviously a far-left uh, ideology. And it kind of just really shows how the quote-unquote best of intentions can really go really wrong. Go like, really awry. Yeah, like this idea of wanting to unite people, which I don't you know, not to get political, but is that was that really the government's aim? I don't know. That's cool. And Billy, you brought the show to the table. What brought you into it in the first place? Well, I was in the season last year at Scranton Shakes as an actor, so I saw Tell for Winter. I remember see it, as it was then, it's now with Winter, and I saw it and I remember thinking, I, I was so taken with this character, the bear, and what's very different about the show now as opposed to, as opposed to back then is that it it was smaller, the world felt smaller, I think. Yes. Because you had those eight characters and the, those are the only people you saw. And I think what he's done with this version, by adding all of these other characters, there's an added epicness to it. It feels almost Brechtian in a way. And you get a sense of the people and class and how they're divided because of decisions that are being made by the high powers. How big is the show? It's, eight, it's still eight people. It's still eight. Because, again, I mean, in a night, if we were doing it at the National, we would have a cast of 40, and it would feel massive. Sure. But because it's a festival, and we're, it's guerrilla style, we're, we decided to stick with the eight people and just have everybody play everyone. Mm -hmm. Then you have to deal with the challenges of how do I utilize these eight people at all times and sure. find a way to create this sense of epicness. But I remember when I saw it, that, um, that it, it's actually not in the play anymore, but the monologue that stuck out for me was the time monologue that the bear did. And it was so beautifully done. The bear didn't speak up until that point, and then he just came in onto this beautiful monologue about time. It just really struck me as a beautiful piece of writing. And then when this festival came about, I reached out to Anne, and I was like, hey, you should slip this my way if you're still working on it, and he sent me it. And initially, I wasn't going to be directing. That was the plan. I was just going to project manage the festival. And I was reading the play and trying to think about assigning it to a director and who I would give that to. And as I was reading it, I was like, oh, that's a vision. I mean, I work very visually, so I was like, that's a visual image I have. Oh, this is another visual image I have. And you just went. It just like, it kept with popping thoughts. up on me, and I was like, oh, well, maybe I'll assist someone and, and help them figure this out. And then slowly I was like, well, maybe I'll direct <laughs> it. <laughs> and yeah. then slowly, and then like started suggesting it to people, like, how would you feel if I directed this? No and, abuse of power here. <laughs> absolutely just... not. <laughs> the claws just so kept I like gradually out. like took this piece and was like, it's mine now. <laughs> 
So uh, that's how I ended up directing it, and I was like, Anne, would you be okay with that? And he was like, yes. Oh so yeah, I was, <laughs> I was beyond okay. Um, having seen what you did with uh, your Alice last season, I was like, perfect. Like, this is exactly the vision that I want for this script and this incarnation. She's got the right vision, she has the right touch. It's really uh, uh, kismet for lack of a better word. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about Alice before we leave here today, but just to stick to the show a little bit longer, mm -hmm. give me the lowdown on the casting process that you had for this show. It was interesting because I knew a lot of the original cast members. Does this show share any? It does. It, it does. actually does have some of the well, original members cool. in the show. Straight off the bat, I knew I wanted to use some of the members because one of the reasons that we wanted to do the play festival was that we knew that a show, the show that we're thinking about doing in the spring would potentially isolate some people in terms of type and skill level because it's a very specific sort of show. So we wanted to give our resident company members a chance to stretch their acting muscles and their directing muscles. So I knew flat out that I wanted to cast some members from the company. Uh, Kevin, who plays the bear, I've been calling him a bear for years and I was like, He's really a big old bear guy. And his bear is honestly exceptional. It's, <laughs> it's what I look forward to the most. And it's just me, but when I imagine Kevin as a bear, I also just imagine him wearing a tutu and like a clown nose. It's, and I don't know if that's your vision at all, but that's how I direct it's it. It's so funny because he just is a bear. Like, I don't, I can't even expect, and even like, I got a very hilarious text about four weeks before we even start the rehearsal process that was like, hello, Billy. Uh, I've been doing some detailed research into bears. And I would just like to know. And like this long <laughs> this email about, like an actual conversation about yeah. how he wanted bears. I was like, bless. Bless you. And he's done such a wonderful job. And a lot, I mean, we've been rehearsing quite isolated. So the only people who've really seen him do his bear are really Otto and, and myself. And then, I mean, he did it yesterday in rehearsal. And we all fell apart because it's so brilliant. Yeah. It's genius. And I knew I wanted to use Mike Tubman because I think Mike Tubman's a remarkable actor and very he's very, very versatile. And what was really important for me, what I learned from Alice, is that it's so important to have a cohesive group and people that gel with you and want to collaborate and bring things to the table. And what I love about Mike is that he never says no. He always says yes. Yeah. That's so important. And even though I think when he first got the script, he felt that this was a little bit out of his range, I knew he'd be able to rise to the challenge. And it's interesting because the guy who originally played it in Scranton, Conor McGuigan, I actually think they have very similar flavors. They're usually considered comedians. That's the sort of text they lend themselves to very well. But they both have this innate sensibility and ability to tap into something very real. And it's just funny that they both kind of thought that that was out of their playing range right. and they both have risen to the challenge. But Connor lives in Scranton, so I couldn't be like, hey, come and be in the show. We were really lucky that uh, some of the original members, Joe McGurl, he had just moved to the city. We were casting at the time and I was like, Joe, oh my God, you should be in this. And he said, yes, Sam Morales, who's playing Racer, played that originally, and she's doing unbelievably remarkable things. And I was kind of like, oh, I don't know, she'll say yes. But Sam's always been like, ask me and I'll tell you. And so I asked her and she was like, yes, I want to work with you. So that was, we were so blessed to have her. And then Gillian Gertz, who's incredible and we're so lucky to have her on board. And then we've got Ryan Manane, who's actually the newest. I think he's the only person who I've never directed or acted with. But he was in uh, a production of Me and the Girls that I worked on with Doug last year. He was so wonderful. I th um, what really struck me about him is uh, he's, he's only been graduated the year. He was in Eliza Shay's class. And the way he carried himself, he was, I mean, he was acting against Alan Cumming in his graduate year. And the way he carried himself, it had such star quality to it. And I was really taken with him. And when this came about, I was like, actually, do you know what? I would love to work with Ryan. I think he'd be great. I might as well ask him. And he said yes. And so we've got a really special group. It's like eight people that are just good. Good-natured, 
there's no animosity in the room it's all about creating and I think when particularly with the process particularly with the way I work and you know because I've directed you mm-hmm. it can be a little daunting when a little a little when <laughs> I like jump in and I'm like I want you to do these crazy things and then cry everyone was just like yes I'm here I'm gonna work and that was so important that I had eight people who knew what it was going to be, who were going to be okay with rehearsing in my living room, and just jumping in and doing it. It's rehearsing in your living room, that's one thing. It's rehearsing in your living room, that's all the way out in Brooklyn. That's right? the that's other the thing. Real, that's the real trick. <laughs> yeah, that excites me that your cast is... Oh, they're great. They're, they're so cool. great. And right now, because of the way the, because the show jumps around so much and there's lots of shorter scenes, what's been great is that we can work in pairs or in threes. And tomorrow is the first time that we're going to see the whole thing together. Everyone's going to see everyone's work, which is going to be so interesting. Tomorrow, just for placing it, we're recording this on the Sunday before opening. Yeah, before opening. So, yeah, so it's we, the we week of the we're show. We're about to go mm-hmm. into tech. That's crazy. Yeah. That's guerrilla theater. That is guerrilla style. That's we good stuff. We're going up. We've got, yeah, and I think it's going to be really, really great. I'm excited for it. Yeah. I'm very pumped. Is this your first show that you've written? No, this, uh, let's see. This show, this play, um, its original version was the second thing that I've written that was produced. This is now my fourth production. First in New York, fourth overall. I had, um, last year, 2016, I had two productions in Scranton. And then the year before that, I had a production in Kansas City at the the KC Fringe, which was my first, uh, sort of my playwriting debut overall. How'd you end up in Kansas City? Uh, So I got my master's at NYU, and a friend of mine was in the program. He uh, had a theater company out in Kansas. We were talking, and I sort of mentioned that I was a playwright, which was very generous of me to myself because I think I'd written, like, one play at that point. And I said I was a playwright, and he said, oh, well, you know, I'm I'm looking for material. So I sent him my script, and, you know, he looked at it, he read it, and he was like, oh, it's really great, thanks. And I said, okay, great. About a year later, he called me out of nowhere, and he's like, hey, you remember that play you gave me about a year ago? I'm like, yeah. He's like, okay, great, I'm doing it this summer. And I was like, oh, okay, so this is literally like a, okay. su- this is like a yeah. Sunday morning, and he just like called, I'm like, oh, that's great. He produced it, uh, he cast it, he flew me out there to see it. It was a really surreal experience. I think the hardest thing about seeing your work is trying to resist that urge to just, you know, almost as if like the words were up on a screen and you're just trying to pick them and rearrange them, trying to just sit there and really enjoy it. But I did. I've always enjoyed my work. Yes, there are things that I am always thinking about, but I've never walked into a theater and, and cringed at my work, which I suppose is uh, important. borderline <laughs> narcissistic. That's right. That I, was no, I think that's important. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see this thing. Um, Do you find it terrifying seeing your own work? Absolutely. I honestly don't think I, I've ever felt a fear than what, like, opening night of Alice. I thoroughly thought I was going to vomit, and I did, but that was for different reasons. I was drunk. <laughs> yeah, you were, I think you were very drunk. Uh, <laughs> I, I was just so nervous. I was so nervous. Well, it's one, tough. my wisdom teeth were coming through, so I was in so much pain. But I was so oh. unbelievably terrified that I was trashed before the lights went up. It's tough. Anybody who says that, ah, I don't care, I'm, I'm just walking in. I think no matter how many things you write, I think you have to have that kind of nervous because it's it's your baby in a way, yeah. you know? Like, people see the actors, right? They know who directed it. 
and I don't think anybody really thinks about like that. What like if, if people go to see a show and either they love it or hate it, very rarely I find it's because of the writing. It's usually because oh I love that actor or I hated that actor. <laughs> oh I love the direction. I hated the the direction or even like I love the costumes. I hated the costumes. And it's just I. It's a really interesting position to be in because you're. It, you feel like what you did was important and you, you feel like there's things about it that you will notice that nobody else will. And I think it's just a different experience when walking into that as opposed to just like walking into any show that you would see. When I was, when I was in college, I did a 24-hour play festival mm -hmm. uh, that I ran and I wrote in it a couple times. And the first time I ever wrote something that was being performed, I was so nervous that the second the lights went down and the play started happening, I stopped breathing. No. Oh God! <laughs> and I'm 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 sitting yeah, there and okay. I'm watching everything, and suddenly I feel very queasy, and like my vision starts blurring. And my friend Gabby, who was directing the play, like taps my hand and goes, "Breathe." I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> it yeah. is a strange thing that happens, and I mean, I all the way through Alice, I was just like so terrified that intermission would happen and everyone would get up and like. <laughs> it's a scary thought. I felt that way too about Alice. Yeah. Just like, will people get this? Will people yeah. not? The, the head of the, uh, the company at the academy where I went to school, uh, I bumped into him and he's a very well-renowned playwright and director and worked with Lambert Wilson and worked at Circle Rep. He's the most wonderful man and he's very, very wise. And I bumped into him, uh, I was speaking at the graduation last year and I was like, telling him about Alice and we were about to open and how nervous I was and how amazing it was to see all of these incredibly creative people bring something to life that you wrote. Like, it's very special. And he said, I want you to remember that you were there when the page was blank. And I was like, that is very moving. Like, really moving. It is, like, and it is something that you have to think about. Like, once upon a time, that was just an idea in your head. Yeah, you're, um, you're literally making something out of nothing. And I think that's why it, it's yeah. so precious in a way. And it's, it's, it is hard to let that go and, and let the people who need to do with it what they will do that. That's a lot of what I learned throughout the Your Town process mm -hmm. over the last week. I forget who, I think Kaylin, our stage manager, uh, said to me, the director's job isn't over, it's just done. Mm -hmm. And I, I took that to heart because the second the lights went down, the second we finished dress rehearsal, I was like, wash my hands of this one clean. <laughs> yeah. I can't. Oh, you can give notes forever. I could honestly give notes forever, but you it's not your show anymore. And that's like a big lesson that, that's something that I learned from Eric. Once it's open, it's really not your show anymore. Have you ever had a director that gave notes after shows? Yes. I always find that the weirdest thing. I never <laughs> heard of that. No. <laughs> I, I never heard of that until my, my girlfriend, Megan McGee, when she directs, she gives notes after shows. I was waiting for her to like come out so we can celebrate and everything. She's like, I got to do notes first. And I said, it was a performance. And she said, so? And that was so weird to me. Yeah. Well, I mean, and then, the, and then you start to deal with, I mean, like equity rules. Like technically, if, if you're in a union show, you can't give notes. After right, happening. right. I mean, you can go through the AD if there's like specific things that are like unsafe or you'll put it in, you have a put in or something. But that was really interesting for me, like during Robin Hood being able to be like, oh, it's our show now. And that was a completely new experience for me. Let's talk a little bit about Robin Hood. Oh my gosh, yes. That must have been nuts. It was mad. It was the most amazing experience. Uh, frame that for people that don't know what the show was. Uh, yes. Douglas Carter and Lewis Flynn wrote a version of uh, Robin Hood. It's called Hood, the musical, uh, the Robin Hood musical adventure. It just premiered down in Dallas at Dallas Theatre Centre, which won the Tony Award for Best Regional Theatre this year. Ooh. And 
I've been in every iteration of the show, so I was in the original production at the Academy, and then when that went to Scranton Shakespeare Festival, then I went to Dallas with the show, and it was very well received, and hopefully the show will have future life. And it's an amazing piece, it really is, it's, it's absolutely mammoth, it's 12 people playing all of the characters, puppets, instruments on stage, more sword fighting than you can shake a stick at. It's the hardest physical thing I've ever done. It was a real marathon, and we did it. We did like I think it was something like uh, I want to say like eighty performances, so probably around like two months of a run. I wish I could see it because when you say the hardest physical thing I ever done, I have worked with you as a director, and I know how physical you get in productions. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, I'm a very physical performer, and I like physical work. And this was something else. This was something. It was another beast entirely. And and I was learning a new skill. Like puppeteering is a mastercraft. It really is. It's an art form. I didn't realize how hard it was and how physically tolling it can be. You're working muscles in a way that you've never worked them before, and it, the the repetition of that can be quite detrimental, so you have to look after yourself. I hate exercise, but I, had, I was going to spin every day because I needed that sort of high-intensity cardio to be able to get through the show. It was really, really physical, but so rewarding, and there was never a second in a longer run. Like, sometimes you can find yourself being like, oh, like, what am I going to have for dinner? Sushi, Taco Bell, in and out <laughs> But there was never time for that. And I remember, like, about halfway through the run of, like, halfway through a five-show weekend just being like, oh, I could do this every day. I could, I'm not bored. I will never be bored of this show. That's a beautiful thought. Yeah. Because I've done, I've done shows that run two weekends, and I go, I'm bored of the show already. Right. So that's, that's, a, <laughs> that's a testament to your work. Have you ever done a show that ran that long before? Uh, the Comedia show uh, the, with Ragtag Theatre, um, that ran for a y almost a year and a half off Broadway. It was a little bit more sporadic because we did Scranton Shakes, then we did The Fringe, then we went to Soho Playhouse and we were at Soho Play Playhouse for a year. So we probably did all in all about the same amount of shows spread out over a year and a half. It was just a bit of a different schedule. Was that your first time doing regional theatre? No, I've done a lot of regional theatre uh, at Scranton Shakes and uh, other places. So I have done regional theatre before. It's the first equity house that I've ever worked at. Um, and it was the first large-scale regional theatre I've done. Yeah, I imagine that must have been a breathtaking thing to be Oh, in. God, it was amazing. That's very cool. <laughs> Let's change gears. You took on the mantle of artistic director mm -hmm. at Ophelia. How's that treating you? It's really good. It turns out running a theatre company is really hard. Hmm. I never knew. would have thought. No, it's been amazing. It's been really great. When you're coming into a theatre company that has already been established for a certain amount of time, the company's been around for 14 years now, and, and it's, it's changing rapidly. And I think when you come into something like that, you're going to bring a different energy. So a lot of this year and the last six months, has been feeling out what that energy is and how I can better the company. And people need to get used to me as well because I'm a completely new entity in this role. And I think what Eric did so well, our previous artistic director, is that he started to pull himself away in a way that allowed me to kind of seep through. So it didn't feel like, Eric's gone, Billy's here. <laughs> Bring in the new boss, same as the old boss. Here no, we go. I, I felt that too, especially being so closely connected to the last two shows we did last season, which was like Eric Swan song yeah. and your Christianine into your yeah. new position. I definitely felt that that exchange of power going on, and yeah. I think the transition is, for the most part, going extremely well. Yeah, and it's still, it's still evolving. I still have weekly meetings with Eric on the phone, and he's always checking in on me. And if anything, I think... It's been such a gift for our friendship. Because beforehand I was very close with Brittany, and I, I enjoyed Eric's company and we were friends, but I don't think we knew each other in the same way. 
and it's it's a very unique position to be in because now the only person who knows what I'm going through is Eric. I can call him and be like, this is this is plaguing me, or this is working, or this isn't working, and he's always got such incredible advice. And I learned a lot about people from watching him and how he interacts with people, how he interacts with artists. So it's a different beast. He's such a fascinating um, person. He's a, a wonderful director. You know, there's, we've been really lucky that, I mean, I've been, we've all been really lucky that we've got to work with Eric. There are a few, having worked with a number of directors, there are a few young directors that I'm really passionate about and love their work. And him and Michael Flynn are two people who I just think are, I mean, Eric is one of the best directors I've ever worked with, same with Michael. They just have a way with actors that is really, truly exceptional. But like, taking over something like this is, it is a mammoth task. And I think a lot of the Ophelia members have known each other for a really long time. And I like to call like us, the me, the Megans, the you, the, the new generation of Ophelia, the, the people who came in in the last four years, who are all of a sudden having a massive impact on the company because it, it, it is nature. Something like this, it is it, it's going to grow, it's going to evolve. It, this baby's 14 now. It's had its bar mitzvah. Like it's, it's, you know, it's getting it's getting older and it's growing and it's becoming an adult, and that's a massive change to go through. And navigating that and navigating that change in a number of different people, people who've been with it from the beginning, people who are new, figuring out what this new dynamic is is really really tricky. But everyone's been so receptive, and I know a number of times I've absolutely terrified people with the crazy ideas I've been coming up with, but something that I talked about with Sarah briefly uh, yesterday actually was that this company survives on the idea that it is diverse and can bend and be flexible and change when it needs to change to its surroundings and I think that's what's so special about it and you know everyone's just good people and ultimately yeah. like I mean we joke about it and we say that like when we do auditions we have the beer test but that really is something that we stand by we won't cast you if we don't think we can't have a beer with you no absolutely not because you just need to be with people who love this as much as, as I do, or you do, or I, like, you need to be with people who love it. And can excel your alcoholism. And can yes. excel your alcoholism. Easily. <laughs> Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about Alice while we yeah. have some time left. I love that show. I'm so excited about that show. I'm yeah. excited to maybe do it again someday. Is there anything you can tell us? About Alice? Um, okay, I can tell you some little things before we make official announcements. Give me some tiny deeds. There are going to be further productions. We're working on a potential production in... I'm trying to think what I can say without giving it away. Uh, we're going to be working on a potential production uh, in the summer, and then another one uh, towards the end of the summer. The show's going on the road, is what I can say, and that we're, we're going to be moving it. Um, the show is becoming as an entity now, and it has its own producing team. And we're, we're, we're going to continue to develop this piece because I think it was such a special event for all of us in our lives and I never imagined that that was going to be what it was and that it was going to be as successful as it was but I think it's a special story and I think it's something that needs to be told and I'm really excited that it's continuing it's a very unique work I've been doing theater for a little over a decade now and when I think back about everything I've done, I don't think anything ever hit me. One, nothing ever challenged me as much, never hit me viscerally as much as Alice did. Mm -hmm. And I think what you want to do with it in the future is something that's very, very exciting. And I can't wait to talk more about it. Yeah, it's really, it, it's, it's been such a special experience. It was by far the hardest thing I've ever done. By far the hardest that any any of us have done. Uh, yeah, it's I, the biggest show that Ophelia's ever done. To be, to say, we're going to do this. And 
we're going to set this bar for ourselves and to exceed it in the way that we did was really amazing. I think everyone felt that it, it was the hardest thing. We, we, we were all aware when we went into that rehearsal process, we were like, this is the hardest thing we've ever done. How are we going to do this? There were many moments in the rehearsal process where I was like, I don't know if I signed up for this. Yeah, because it was hard. It, it was, was very really, hard. really hard, but so unbelievably rewarding. I mean, I say it all the time, I will never be able to repay the actors for what they did in that process. No, you won't. I, I won't. No, I, I won't. I, I will never be able to repay them for no, that. No um, money on earth. Because they just brought their heart and soul to it. They really did. And it was a real meeting of worlds because it was all of my favorite people in a room doing something that meant the world to me. So it was very, very moving to be a part of that at that particular moment in time. It's very beautiful. I'm excited to hear more about that. <laughs> I'm excited for Red Winter. <laughs> so am I. It sounds great. There are two weekends left in yeah. River Twist. We have yeah. Red Winter, we have Rhyme with the Ancient Mariner. Which Tickets. I'm in. Which you're, you're in, right? I was in that as of about a week ago. <laughs> I did not. These things never pass my desk. I know. <laughs> okay, that's fantastic. Well, I want to thank you both for being here today. Oh, thank, thank you, you so much. much. Is there anything else you want to say? Uh, yeah, you're all right, I guess. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's the first time she's ever paid me a compliment. No, he's amazing. I've actually really enjoyed this. Red Winter plays... Yeah. Thank you. Red Winter play... <laughs> <laughs> you all right? You gotta, you gotta nail this. Gonna get man. this outro real <clears throat> good. Nail it. Red Winter plays this weekend at the Ophelia Theater, the 13th, 14th, and 15th. The Friday and Saturday shows are at 8, the Sunday show at 6. You can find more information about that at ophelia.theater.org. My name is Zach Rich. And this has been another lovely episode of Ophelia Talks.